magnanimity, magnanimosity, magnanimo. I am magnanimous, <laughs> is what I'm saying, and you're not. <laughs> and you're not. Welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck a little less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode 023, recorded May 18th, 2021. Yes. And we have a slick new site. Thanks to you. We do. It's really do. It cool looking. Tight. I loved this design. I really did. Um, this Ethics. was, for people who are looking at it, this was uh, based on the design of our, uh, of our joint venture. Uh, Forge Software. We we were uh, we were doing our own boutique software development shop, and uh, we basically just repurposed the materials. I say we. I should say you. You did literally all the work. I owe you some 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 fixes to something that was busted, but otherwise, it's I mean, like it's- the scene. What is that? The scene, the beginning of uh, Avengers one or two, where Tony Stark's like, "No, literally, I I lifted the heavy things." <laughs> <laughs> there are. There are so many good lines coming from Tony. That oh my I, I'm, gosh. I'm so worried about that series moving forward because the 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 lack of the lack of his little one-liners that if you're not paying attention, you miss them. And there some of them are really funny. There is a um Oh man, which one was it? Uh, he's, look, he's looking for uh, reticulating spines. Um, yeah, yeah, just yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> hey, I am, and I'm trying to remember the movie. So it was, it was in uh, Age of Ultron, and he had a line when they're trying to pick up the hammer. Do you remember that they're at the mm-hmm. party and they're trying to pick up the oh, hammer? Yeah, see who's worthy. And he goes yep. to pick up the hammer, and he says, he says when he, he if I pick this up. I'm reinstituting Tierna Nocta. Prima Nocta. Uh, Prima Nocta. That's right. I got it wrong. Prima Nocta. And <laughs> Prima Nocta is this old medieval practice that I'm not even going to recite on the air here. You can if just go. If you've seen Braveheart, you, you know what that is. That's right. If you've seen Braveheart, you know what Prima Nocta is. And it was just like he dropped it in there, and most people had no idea what it was. Right but over I their did. Heads. Yeah. And I rolled. I was the only, yeah. I was the only one in the yeah. theater who the caught only guy it. Laughing, and right? I was the only yep. one laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Epic. So and good. actually, now I, now I, I realize the old, the old, um, the old, Forge site. I said it was epic. It was technically legendary, if you technically, recall. That's right. Because that's that right. tagline, um, "Make your next app legendary." Make your next app legendary. Dialed legendary, like a like a like loot in WoW or something. That's right. We were using we were using WoW. That was that was yeah. my contribution to it. We did we used the the WoW loot coloring, the rarity mm-hmm. coloring, which has yeah, now it's really interesting. Wait, Most, we, was it was is the orange the legendary color? Orange is the legendary color. I don't okay. think it was the actual. Now I, I'm not sure if we had the explicit. We're getting wow, this is super nerdy now. But I don't think it was the explicit hex color code. But it was. No, but it was. It okay, was in orange, the yeah. same spirit. Interestingly, yeah. though, that's one thing that they have now pushed out to the broader uh, community. If you play any of these newer games that have loot. So mm-hmm. any kind of looter shooter, uh, the let's see, um, uh, Outriders is probably the, the the hot one right now. They mm-hmm. all do rarity coloring, and they all do a very very close approximation of 
what WoW did. I remember mm-hmm. actually, I think it was Destiny who actually used, they took the colors and because it was Microsoft and Microsoft has to actually change everything. We're going to do exactly what you do, but we're going to change all the little syntax and the no, chrome no, Frank, around it. Frank, Frank, they're, they're adding value. That's you understand? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, backslash. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, they, they did their rarity colors and they used pretty much the same color palette but they inverted them. They changed which ones actually represented which rarities. And if you Google, you'll find find people pissing and moaning about how this is not rare. This is exceptional. You know, like they just just going (laughs) off on it. And so now most of the games actually follow the same color uh, order for the different representations of of rarity and value. Because it's that well established. Because it's that well established. It's just... That, that that one I always thought was really, that was a really kind of sort of the way podcasting. And I know that it didn't come purely from, from Apple, but, and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, and the iPod, but that was certainly part of the original, the origination of the name, but sort of the same way that that just became, it just became part, part of the culture. It was one of those things that just, yeah. you know, got glommed onto. I always thought that was, uh, I always thought that was interesting, but, um, yeah, nobody, but I, nobody's calling it web radio. Nobody's calling it web radio. <laughs> No, that's that's just lame. But anyway, the site looks really, really sharp. You did a good job with the uh, with the layout there. I need to get a new picture. I I, I need a new professional headshot. That's that's less. Um, so do I. Less buttoned up. I feel kind of stodgy. I feel kind of. I don't feel douchey. You look douchey. For well, you sure. should. You well, well you, you should. Do. You well, you do. <laughs> but uh, it. I I wanted to look a little more informal, a little more dressed down. Yeah. So that that's on my that's on my to do list. I'll, I'll get that done. Eventually, but anyway, site looks super sharp, and I'm glad we have an excuse to use that material again because that yeah, was always yeah, I it love was a that super site. love that site. It, it was it was a super slick one page kind of style, mm-hmm. and uh, when I when we built that, which was, I think 20 mid 2014, maybe something like that, uh, something like that. Um, I had the good presence of mind to do it all in Bootstrap, so that when I wanted to take that and then repurpose it for refactored. It was actually a really easy transition. You were actually um, thinking about the podcast all the way back then. I'm impressed. I was. I was I'm impressed. a visionary. <laughs> I'm a visionary. Uh, that's why we work well together. You know, I envision things and then you like label something and claim half the credit. We have a good dynamic just- here. <laughs> that's how it works. No, it was good. So shout out to Bootstrap and Hugo. I am just, I, I think I maintain now four production sites built on Hugo. Oh, and Hugo's I know great. We, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but I just, I'm in love with it. it yeah, we actually, and, and we had talked offline and off air. We, n- we never actually went back and retroactively did it, but uh, pick for ever would be Hugo. So I'm just going to drop that yeah. in preemptively now because we, we actually owe it from a week ago. Super augmented, silent and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. Yeah, we did actually mark that. We noted that as as our did as we our okay, but we didn't actually record yeah. it in the episode. I think no, okay. No. Anyway, that no. that was a um that that deserves a call out because that is a great way yeah. to build. That was sites. two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, when yeah. I when I uh, when I debuted the CSP, I mentioned that that I that's built right that site on Hugo. We it's did talk about it on Hugo, pleasure. and we did we did call it out there, but I don't think we ever actually gave it the formal. You know, we, we didn't the do the super augment on it. So, and this is why this is why people. I I, I know I get painted because I'm in a I'm in an enterprise. It's a Microsoft shop. That's that's one kind of culture, and you and I kind of come more from the open source 
world yep. and that's a different kind of culture. Yep. And, Linux I'm, and I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm the crazy guy at work because I like open standards that aren't controlled solely by one entity. Right. Right. It's, um, uh, for better or worse, one of the reasons why I historically stayed away from Angular because I felt it was it was uh, Google had too heavy a hand in it, and some mm-hmm. of the things they you know so maybe that's not the best example of decision. Well, I mean, life. look but at anyway, where it's got like, Angular is dying. So I mean, I think the results yeah, can kind of speak for themselves. It's dying. I mean, everything did start to lose to well, React Google stopped supporting it. They lost to React, but Google also actually started to distance itself really? from the project if i recall correctly yeah you know oh, the the, okay. the angular one to two shift that they really killed themselves there right? like making yeah, it a but major then, breaking they had a good story yeah 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 so but anyway back then when i um when i built i moved my personal site over to hugo and when i originally well not originally but the last time i rebuilt my personal site I was with Jekyll and the mm-hmm. one thing at the, at which the is time the that same tool, it, same kind of tool written in Ruby, whereas Hugo yeah, is a static, static site generator written in go just right. Jekyll's a static FYI. site, Ruby. Yeah. Um, so, but when I, when I did that and that was maybe 2013 or 14, when I did that at the time, I, I was, I, I, it had to be marked down. It's, it's just, it's too easy to author content. It's too hard to screw up. And it's an open standard makes it portable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like at work, we, we, you know, we have, or, or not even at work, but in, in general, over the years, I have seen where, uh, oh, we're going to store, we're going to store some stylized content. And I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, how stylized does it need to be? Can we do it in Markdown? And if so, store the raw Markdown. This has one very significant advantage. Which is yeah, at the cost of a little bit of runtime performance to re-render constantly. Which, by the way, you can just cache and be done with it. Um, the advantage is if you upgrade or rethink how you're rendering your content, you don't have to go through and try to reprocess a database full of crap. That's right. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm huge. I'm very I'm long on on Markdown. Um, and so when I when I built the Jekyll site uh, uh, some years back. Uh, I was really focused on making sure that it could be done with Markdown. And of course, then the uh, ecosystem started to standardize on this kind of front matter convention. So when I took that up, I picked that up uh, a few months ago and moved it over to Hugo. It was like I applied a new uh, theme and then it worked. It just worked. It was it was Mm -hmm. magical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm in love with it. I'm in love with Hugo. Yeah, there's a couple of different flavor variants that you have to be careful with. But other than that, it's it's really easy. And the other nice thing is. You can that content is easily readable in its p- original plain text format. Yeah. You know, you can you can use it with you just read it in plain text. I mean, a list is literally a new line with a dash or a star, and you just do that on each line or a numerical. Well, that was list. kind of the point. They, know, they, 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 the point. They, they came up with a machine processing structure for conventions that people had been using for 30 years already. In already emails in stuff. emails. That's right. That was the That's whole, right. that was the whole point of it. People are already right. doing this. Let's turn that into HTML. How do we do that in a structured way? Markdown was born and I'm, so I'm all in. I, right. I, I love and it, it. translates really it. well. You can take markdown documents and turn them into PDFs. Pretty looking. PDF oh, tooling around Very it now easily. is ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really, really yeah. good. And then one of the things, so so use Bootstrap for it too. And one of the things that we got kind of for free with this new site, um, uh, uh, Hugo's internal pagination template mm-hmm. spits out markup that is Bootstrap compatible. 
Oh, so nice. I didn't even have to, nice. I didn't even have to go. I mean, I did, I think I did wind up building a custom pagination because reasons, but out of the box, the pagination you get from Hugo's internal template was, um, that would just, it plugged right, bootstrap, saw it, and it, it did the right, you know, kind of right thing by default. Um, so I was, I had the worm and fuzzies because just to see two kind of independent projects work together so nicely and interoperate with the open standard for the data itself that I care about and the whole thing, um, it was really, uh, it was really cool. Was yeah. Really cool. The other thing that I really like about Hugo and, and the, um, I think the static site generation trend in general is that it obviates the need to learn complex frameworks in order to build useful sites. You can now you can learn Hugo, which is really, really straightforward. You don't need to know a lot to put it into practice. And it's got a really nice test bed that you can run locally and, and figure things out and test it and, and build. But you're just building your when you're writing content, you're doing it in Markdown, which is stupid easy. But then outside of that, you're writing HTML straight up regular old plain HTML. It's a great way to learn how to construct a site. We have a guy on my team. He's in our IT department he, and he has been, he, he wants to move from IT. He's actually following a similar track to myself. He wants to move from IT and he wants to get into more of the website and the development stuff. And our site was WordPress, which is at this point a bloated mess. It was great. Awful. To, it is. It was great when it came out. I, I don't want to knock WordPress too hard. WordPress is part of the reason that blogging became so prolific i mean that and platform still runs is, some double digit percent of the internet by domain name it, it runs a huge number of sites still you know it's sort of like the way people like to knock php well facebook is built on php still is as far well, as which I is know. which is well we would fight about that because that's well deserved but i'm not going to hit the bell i'm not going to ring the bell we can go there i would happily go there but i'm not going to ring the bell yet <laughs> You can knock PHP all you want. It runs a huge percentage of the of the internet. WordPress built in PHP, knock it all you want, still runs a huge percentage of sites because it's yeah, it a really very accessible platform to get started. But once you get started, it starts to get messy in a hurry with the plugins and the add-ons and things like that. And well, maintainability. Because so maintainability, many of the plugins are just yeah. not built in a maintainable way. There's incompatibilities. You get version hell with upgrades. That's where you really get because it's easy to take right. a Take a WordPress deployment, add a theme, add a couple of plugins, you're off to the races. And then the first time you need a version bump something, you wind up with headaches. And the deeper right. you make that integration, the harder that is to navigate. I mean, you and I have both done it before, and it's just, it's like, why am I doing it? Yeah. <laughs> it's at some point, the, at some point, just build the damn thing on Rails or uh, you know, anything else and and build it, build it yourself from the beginning. You're gonna wind up spending just as much time over the long term. You're right. It, it, you do spend as much time over the long term, but it, it, it's an easy way to get started, but it reaches a, a plateau where things start to get too complicated and you need to go more bare bones and get nitty gritty on your HTML coding. And then it becomes more of a hindrance than anything else. That's where our site was at. And this um, this engineer that I was working with, he was getting himself familiar and I was telling him, hey, in your off hours, if you want to learn HTML, go build a site in Hugo. When if and when we rebuild the site, it's going to be a static site. We're going to use Hugo to generate it, and you're going to need to know that anyway. So that was that was uh, my recommendation to him, and it remains a good recommendation. If you're looking to learn just some regular old site 
stuff and how to build a site and CSS and all that kind of stuff, Hugo is a great way to build an actual site that actually runs and learn HTML, CSS, and 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 JavaScript. And, and see a working example of templating, right? Because you you deploy a Hugo site, yes. you install you install one of these off the shelf themes, and boom, you have the whole picture end to end with logic, with loops, with all this stuff, and it's a working example you can play with, like you said. The local server for testing and is mm-hmm. is really couldn't be more convenient. And there are some there are some templates that use uh, structures like Bootstrap because Bootstrap is not a site that's a framework for building a site. It's a it's a collection of uh, really CSS definitions and some prefab common HTML tag structures to to put together a site in a very repeatable modular fashion it's 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 lego bricks for websites and so there are hugo templates that are based on bootstrap and there are other ones too that you can use bootstrap is probably the most notable in that space but uh, there are others and so you can find hugo templates that use bootstrap and so now you've got building blocks for templating and building blocks for modular site component development it's it's so it's really powerful it's really really powerful you know i'm kind of annoyed that i don't see in, in in the Hugo space, I'm annoyed that I haven't seen more Hamel uptake. I am so oh, bullish on Hamel. I freaking love Hamel. So for anyone, so tw- but you're twenty. Hold on a second. Before well, they want their on. enthusiasm back. Oh, oh because shut I'm up. I was too back in the day, but I just don't see adoption. I don't see it's going anywhere. I'm really disappointed, and that's what I don't understand because Hamel to yeah. me is my. I put Hamel in the same boat as Markdown. So for anyone who doesn't know Hamel. Is uh, I forget the actual acronym. Um, uh, Hamel ain't markup language. Hamel ain't markup language. Thank you. It's a recursive acronym. It's HTML, but in it is white space sensitive, so it's indent sensitive, similar to the way Python is. And there's no closing tag, and there's no wrapper Chrome. So the less than greater than symbols around the tags. And assigning classes is done in a, I think it's a colon based syntax. No, it's dots, I think. Is it dots? But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a white space sensitive minimalist abstraction for HTML. Right. The same way, so, so Hamel, um, I put Hamel in the same bucket as uh, SAS. No, I beg your pardon, Stylus. Stylus which was the stylus same thing for SAS. CSS. Yeah. Uh, white space sensitive minimalist. Uh, metaprogramming framework is not really this is just an abstraction over CSS mm-hmm. um, and the two of those together plus markdown I mean you really get some some tight you, you focus you can on build what sites so fast so fast with it yeah it I really great. I loved I loved stylus and, and Hamel back but again support is like nobody's nobody's actually doing it and that's a within in in a day and age where everything is now running through preprocessors and compilers and everything even the um, uh, you know the, the JavaScript people. They got they got it's whole pipelines of stuff just to render a single page. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know. It's weird why there's not better adoption of that kind of tooling because I really and I know it's just there's no accounting for taste and it was a style thing. But man, I, I I'm the same way. I stylus and Hamel. I was I was all in back in the day. I really loved. So, I would love to see a resurgence. Yeah. So stylus, two different stories there. It's a, it's a tale of two standards. Stylus got beat out by SAS. SAS, yeah. Stylus got beat out by SAS. I have since adopted SAS. It does not have the white space indenting, and it's designed so that it is still 
valid CSS, whereas stylus was not valid CSS. Yeah. Uh, you, you could not actually, you could not actually skip the preprocessor with SAS. You could, it would still break things, but it would be valid CSS. Um, but you can do a lot well, of no, the I think same- what you mean is that I think what you mean to say is that valid like SAS was a superset of CSS. Valid CSS was valid SAS. Valid CSS was never valid stylus. You can't right. just take Correct. SAS and put it in a browser that it doesn't compile as it's not CSS. So I think yes. you would, you, it wouldn't work if you try to just put link to a SAS file. Right. Right. But if you what I'm saying is it, it still followed the. um. Well, maybe I'm getting my maybe I'm getting my subset supersets mixed up because it was yeah, my I think you were just backwards. Did I, was I getting it backwards? Okay, yeah, fine. We'll just yeah. sidestep it. Anyway, but anyway, you can both still- of them supported like nesting. So and that would naturally build like a CSS selector list that was nested. And so there were a lot of conveniences. And you could SAS write actually some pretty complex stuff, like really tight code. Right. And SAS actually supports the white space version that Stylus did. That was actually how SAS started. There are and now two standards. There are not, no, there's, yeah. they didn't get rid of it. This is, no, no, no. no. They didn't no, get rid of it. SASS and SCSS. Yeah. Yes. And, and it was originally called Sassy CSS. They still support that. And mm. so you can do one or the other, and they have committed to supporting both. And so it just, eight stylus because it did that it plus a bunch of thing. other things now there yeah. are some other distinctions you get into some nuances that aren't really worth it oh, just, and how we've not mentioned out. both of them both of them uh one of the big features were variables yeah it, it was, was nesting and yes. variables nesting those and variables. were the two things nesting that's why you use them nesting and variables and that was it and then what i what i think we both loved was the minimalist kind of white space sensitive version and i i looked for, so this is really this is really out there uh, but I even thought for a hot minute, I've got um, uh, compiler and language design in my background academically. And I, I know where this is I going. I seriously put some thought into um, building what? a Ruby pre-compiler Ruby. Yeah, that Ruby would allow you to to do the same thing with Ruby. And it's just about getting rid of the window dressing in the brackets and, and replacing them with a tab key, which is, you know, again, which no is already. And, and the funniest thing about that is Ruby is already pretty minimalistic. It only requires Chrome in, you know, certain situations. You can do almost you can do an entire line. It was really just getting rid of par- per- really just getting rid of brackets and do an end. Yeah, do I mean, an end was, in brackets. That was, that's that pretty was much basically it. it. Yep. Um, that's pretty much it. So that was that was a passion, and I picked it up and I tinkered with it, and I didn't really. Well, like there are, and the, the funny thing is, it's so it's already so close because you already you know when you do a do in an end or brackets, you're already going to indent, and it's it's already it, it, because of just how that syntax works and well, how minimalistic you, you it already is. To, so you're already so close to not to being able to do white space sensitive. But it is it is a completely different parser like the lexer yeah. and parser are just different the productions are different everything's got to shift because of that difference you can you don't have to indent with ruby right, right? and you can just throw a semicolon and so um I, I it didn't seem like there was any roi to it and i didn't think i'd because even at that point i this was maybe 2015 or something i already saw like stylus and hamel on the downward mm-hmm. inflection and i figured okay well nobody wants this it's only going to be me and i'm not going to be able to support it so yeah, but that's you know, probably I never bought that. It would be a lot of work and you'd have to support it. And, you know, that's that's probably a better case for not doing it. I'm willing to bet Did that I there t- is an somebody, audience for it. 
I talked to somebody a few weeks ago and, and they said, oh yeah, we don't, uh, it was, uh, um, I, f- I forget the context, but I, I was talking to somebody and it's, oh yeah, we don't, uh, we don't really build anything. Uh, we don't do Ruby. We don't support Rubies. Nobody's building anything in Rails anymore. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a statement. Mm. That's a, that's quite a statement because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Rails ecosystem is alive and well. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing like fine. You've had other things. It was a little bit of a fix, fix pie thinking like, You've you have seen a boost in a lot of other newer technology, uh, but I think at least at the moment Rails is still very much relevant. Oh right? yeah, and I don't it see gone anywhere. The thing the thing is, I don't think that given their goal, given their their goal of uh, the beautiful monolith, that's the way that's the way DHH David Heinemann Hansen always likes to talk about Rails, and you know, uh, embracing and and uh, celebrating the beautiful monolithic application. That concept not going anywhere. I, I don't care about. We talked about this going. This is going back probably a couple months now. But we talked about monolithic versus microservices and you know services based applications and things like that. If you're starting a new thing, any new thing, it's going to be a monolith. If you're breaking it into discrete components out the gate, you are nine times out of ten doing it wrong because you don't know what you don't know yet. You're not sure what components actually need to be broken out for the sake yeah. of speed, for the sake so of let's your users belt. and features and functions. All right, hold on. Now. So let's fight about because I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with the idea that if you start with that services mentality, you're probably wrong. I I, I agree with that, but not okay. for that reason. I don't think the fact is I don't think it's it's germane that you don't know what you don't know and all this. Okay, because that's that that's just a fractal. Okay, now within each service, you still don't know what you don't know, or a monolith, you don't know it all in one spot. That's not the issue. Okay. I think for me, the issue is it's a premature optimization, right? Services are really good at scaling and they're really good at working well with a, a larger or distributed team. And if you're just starting off, you have none of those issues, right? You've got, you've got to try to get your business logic figured out and bring it to market. And it kind of goes back to where we started with this with WordPress. If you just need a site and you're not interested in programming, go click the button on the WordPress site. Like that's a no brainer. Done. Go, go just yeah. use WordPress and you're done. Like we just spent five minutes earlier bashing WordPress and I'm saying, if you just want a site, mm-hmm, go get WordPress mm-hmm. because it gets you started fast. It gets you focused on the content, just like, and this is wrapping back around to where we agree, um, you can start your application as a monolith because how you distribute the work and how that scales is, is likely not germane. You want to get to the point where maybe you outgrow that monolith someday if you do, and that's where we could probably have some more discussion. The point is, you got to have a friggin' working app. Mm-hmm. You got to publish the thing and you got to get it working and you got to find people that care, whether that's customers or investors or both. And when you get to the point, if you get to the point that you outgrow that, you need to start thinking about breaking off services and stuff. I think that could be a valid pursuit. So I don't think it's about the, the fact that you don't know what you don't know. It's about the fact that you're going to, it's faster to build a monolith to get an idea in code and working than it is to do a bunch of service nonsense. And I think you're just, it's not anything about unknowns. It's about premature optimization. You're wasting time on stuff that doesn't matter yet because nine out of 10 ideas will fail. And I'd rather fail those nine things really fast. And then on the 10th one, find myself with a successful idea. And now I have some growth challenges than 
having wasted a bunch of time to get there. Right. No, I I get what you're saying. You are making a speed argument. The monolith, if you need a site, throw it in WordPress or any number of a gazillion different static site builders that you can use. Done. Get it up and done. Move on to the next thing. Yeah. You're building a new product. You're trying to get the product out the door as quick as possible. Monolith, it, it centralizes everything. It's in the same boat. You're eliminating a whole bunch of concerns for the sake of expediency. Get it done and out the door. Makes total sense to me. This this bell is actually going to turn out to be a kind of a fail bell, I think, because we're definitely agreeing. You're making a speed argument. I'm making a feature argument. So I'm making the same argument, but I'm talking about a different set of concerns here. So you're saying get it out the door as quick as possible. What I'm saying is when well, it's not it's not so that it's not it is speed, but I want to add the nuance there that it's not because of the speed. It's because of the focus. Right. right. If I'm if I have an idea yeah. for 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 some application I want to bring to market tomorrow, I want to focus on that problem space, not a bunch of navel gazing technology meta flame war stuff with services and containers. All this, you know, that's that's relevant. It's like what we did with refactor. You get out the gate. We just wanted to go, and it's the content, it's the audio. Right. It's, this is a podcast. The value is the audio. Nothing else. Literally, right. nothing else matters if this doesn't work. And so we we did deploy Hugo. And it was some crappy off-the-shelf theme that said, oh, yeah, we do RSS for podcasts. Great. And we deployed it, and it was over in like a day, and we walked away from it. And that was great. Six months later, okay, great. We got something here. I want to spend some time and go back and make mm-hmm. that a good experience mm-hmm. and make it look good. And so now it's appropriate. If I had spent all of that time up front to put a nice site together six months ago, um, that would have kept us from market for an extra three weeks. Right. It would have kept us from producing. So that's, so it is speed, but it's speed because of what you're focusing on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that, okay, fine. You, I mean, you're, you're, you're making a new, you're, you're further delineating what you mean by speed. I I still agree with you. I'm still making a, I'm still making a features argument here. What I am suggesting is out the gate. So what you said, all hundred percent true. And I agree with all of it. Okay. Also, in addition to that, out the gate, you don't know where you're going to go with it. So let's continue and use ourselves. Let's continue to dog food ourselves on this with this website, okay? So we need a website for a podcast. We knew we were going to do content. We knew sort of what the content was going to be. We didn't know what content, you know, how presentation, how that information was going to inform the presentation of that content. We didn't know, you know, stylistically what was going to fit for the site design we didn't know how long the i didn't know if i was going to be able to make it through 60 minutes of you one time right i mean for heaven's sake i I mean i ask myself that question every time you're flapping your gums while we're sitting here that we've made it to episode 23 is a testament to nothing other than my My patience no my my patience and magnanimity Mm. magnanimity magnanimity i am magnanimous (laughs) is what i'm saying (laughs) And you're not. <laughs> and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I don't pick that for the opening clip now, I just, I don't know how you, I don't know how we cap, do better than that one. But I think I, I think I have to. Let me, let me, let me mark this right now before I forget. There we go. Time code. Time, time code. Time code. Um, so every, there, there are a whole, and you know, so, a static site for a podcast is kind of, it's, it's contrived. I'm having a hard time coming up with other examples. As you're building a thing, you don't know what features your users are going to value. You don't know what things you're going to yeah. be missing that the users are going to say, oh, it would be great if it 
blank. And answering those questions, you, you, you out the door, you, you literally cannot answer them because you don't know what you don't know. You need to actually get started and get out there. The benefit of the monolith is that you get it out there and you're going to run into those edge cases. You're going to run into the spe- you know, speed issues. Hey, we've got this particular query with this set of data that we're doing all the time that is super duper important and we need to optimize it. Okay, that's one of your, you have run into a wall somewhere, take that narrow problem set, pull it out and handle it separately. Now that you know what it is and who it's for and what you need to do. And so you just keep doing that. And eventually your monolith just breaks itself up if the thing is large enough and successful enough. Or sometimes the idea is tight enough and your solution to it is is optimized enough that the monolith actually works pretty dang well. And you can do some some lightweight distribution and you don't need to do it. I think your argument there is for the MVP. And that's that's about feature set you're bringing to market. I think isn't that what you're talking about? I mean, you're basically talking about an MVP too, aren't you? Yeah, well, that and that, but that's kind of why it was a fight bell fail because we're we're okay. agreeing, but from two really different angles. That's here. literally what I so, just said when I started talking. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah. You are so eager for credit. You, I don't. You, know you are so eager to argue. Like you're just trying oh, to make the you? bell valid at this point. It was that's your it. bell and three and out. I can't it, do it anymore. Was your <laughs> <laughs> was your bell and it failed and you're just trying to save your bell it that's what you're bell. doing it's no so i think but but so the argument there you're you're talking about features and you don't know what your customers are going to want and so you, you have an idea on you, your mvp mm-hmm. in terms of benefit to your customer and nothing else benefit to what your to your about, market benefit to you because it's not just externally to what the clients want. It's also internally what the client, what you need to do to serve right, your right, client but, but, base. And so there's so an you, internal you and external focus, focus. You want to focus well. hedgehog principle mm-hmm. on the core benefit to your, to your market mm-hmm. and then ignore the other stuff, ignore the spinning rims because you're right. It, you're wrong on 90% of them. So why waste your time? Well, you're, it? you're, you're good. It, it's is, almost, you're, you're avoiding that's a, that's a, a fractal or a microcosm of the same problem, but it's, I'm looking at it orthogonally. I'm saying right. if we're talking about the architectural decision of microservice mm-hmm. versus monolith, you have kind of the same thing going on there where, yeah, microservice is great. And if you grow, you probably need some services, um, but you don't know that you're going to grow. And it doesn't necessarily. And so it's right. And I'm saying it's the same, same kind of thing. Oh, I see where you're hung up now. See, I'm not necessarily talking about services and talking. I started out with the example of monolith versus microservices but that the what i'm describing extends beyond that it's it's in you know the what and how you build you know go with what you know today what is the thing you wanted to do today make it do that thing in as simple and as quick a fashion as you as you possibly can and then as you get feedback and then iterate and then iterate and then iterate as you run into problems, as you get feedback, you will make adjustments. At some point in the in that process, the adjustments might be to break it out of out of the monolith because that's the right decision to make, and you'll make that choice at that time. But you can make the same if, argument outside of microservices. You can make the same argument for any for any feature. I'm going to add an ability to um, change the user's email address because right now they can't change the email address, and I'm getting a bunch of feedback from. Customer saying, why do I have to contact you to 
change my email address. And you as the developer, you're absolutely right. You should be able to change your own email address. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to modify it to add that feature to change the email address. Sidebar, I use Lever as my ATS and this damn system does not let me change email addresses for my users. It's ridiculous. It is the oh. stupidest thing in the world. I got to talk to a support rep to change email addresses. Are you flipping kidding me? That's Insane. Ridiculous. Sorry, rant over. So That's speed versus one. features. Hey, it, go like, check out cs-project.org. CS <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yes, help us put these schlubs out of business. My, My goodness. goodness, it's just ridiculous. So it's a it, it goes beyond the microservices versus monolith argument. It's feature sets, it's optimizations, it's it's any of that stuff. Run into the problem, hit the wall before you start knocking the wall down. Otherwise, you're just future coding and making guesses about what you think might be there. And so you want to avoid that as much as possible. And that's, I mean, you go far enough down that track and it becomes as much art and experience as it is science. You know, a, 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 well, a well-versed team will do better at that than a team of new engineers. But yeah. Well, the hard thing, the hard thing is to know what not to do because you're focused on your MVP, right? You're focused mm -hmm. on the one thing you know matters and not the other 80% of stuff that you don't know if it's going to be relevant yet. Right. Or if right. you know it's relevant, you're wrong on the implementation because you didn't have that market feedback when you built it and you built it bass backwards. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so that's um, I just my train my train of thought derailed like a CSX going across the Midwest just then. I have no idea where I was going <laughs> at that point. <laughs> oh my god. That's that's that horrible. Was, that was that's horrible. That's wonderful. That's just wonderful. I'll think of it. I'll think of it later. <laughs> he'll come back <laughs> after to it's it. too late. <laughs> after it's too late, he'll come he'll come back to it. Um oh, man. all right. So we let's see. Let's let's rewind this. We went through uh WordPress and Hugo, CSS all the way back. We started we were talking about the website. We were talking about our, our new website. So and that's up. How tight our, it looks. And how tight yeah. it looks. Refactor.work. You can go check it out. It looks pretty slick. I th I think that's that's pretty awesome. The other topic that I uh, one of the other topics I had um, we have uh, in my team because of the nature of our work we tend to hire a lot of go-getters you know we, we hire people for their for their drive and their initiative and I think there, there's actually several different paths we can go down on this one um, I think that you always want to hire proactive people. I have actually heard people argue against that. Sometimes you don't want people who are, are driving and, and go-getters. And I, I think we can discuss that. But with the time we have left, I'm going to sidestep that for now. With the time we have left, because yeah, I think there's I think there's nothing for us to fight about on that. Probably one. not. I mean, I probably not. But it's a but it's a broad enough it, it, that dips back into hiring. And we've been talking about hiring a lot lately. I don't want to go in there. I don't want to. Yeah, go I'm kind of, like, I'm kind I'm of hired, it, right? Like yeah, I'm kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So so let's 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 sidestep that for now. I have I have very um, I have go getter type of people. Those go getters typically end up the you know, the strongest of them end up running projects for obvious reasons. And depending on the nature of the work. You know how how um, how friendly or indeed sometimes hostile the client can be. Sometimes that lead uh, has wants to 
run interference is the term that I hear a lot. You know, I'm running interference for my team. You know, I'm I'm playing the blocker so that they can focus on the work. And I'm dealing with the rigmarole or the riffraff, you know, the nonsense that is Mm -hmm. otherwise distracting from the work that actually needs to get done. And I am of two minds on this. I have not actually come to a resolution on it. And that's why I wanted to bring it up, because on the one hand, having been in that team lead position and having run interference in much the same way, totally get it. Makes sense. You, you, there's a bunch of noise and you want to insulate your team, soundproof your team from that noise so they can just focus on what actually needs to get done. It's an efficient efficiency argument. And I think that makes a lot of sense. However, I think that if you do that too much or to, or to a too extreme of a degree, or you do it too often, you actually have the exact opposite effect, where if you're insulating your team from everything, well, now your team has no point of reference for what's going on around their work. And you and I have seen plenty of engineers, we call, I call them heads down engineers. I've seen plenty of heads down engineers have no flipping clue what's going on around them. They don't care. They just want to do their code and, and go home. You are now inadvertently creating the same kinds of scenarios where you are, you're basically making your engineers inadvertently heads down engineers because they have no visibility or awareness of the problems going on around the project. So is running. So the question to you. Is running interference for your team a good thing or a bad thing? I don't, I, uh, without getting into definition of is, is, I think there's probably a point where if you look at the question hard enough, you make some distinction when you're running interference, are you isolating your team from everything else or are you simply are, are you completely isolating them from it and their awareness of it? Or are you simply managing it on their behalf out mm-hmm. in the open? I think that the, it, the dividing line is probably in that because as you were talking, I, 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 th- I had three thoughts. First of all, you do this and you create risk for your business because yep. you wind up being a key man or a key they because I'm woke. Uh, <laughs> you wind up being a key person on the team. If something happens to you, there's outsized risk because nobody else understands all of the context the way that you do. And it's, mm-hmm. it's tougher to try to recover from that. Number two, if you're on the side of like isolating your team in, in this lead position, if you're isolating your team from all of that broader context, you will inadvertently foster, I believe, an us versus them mentality, perhaps on both sides, mm-hmm. because you're now dealing with a faceless group of the others and boss is constantly trying to manage them and we constantly have to do weird things. And he says, oh, it's because of things that I haven't told you about, trust me. And then that naturally makes people kind of think that the other side doesn't know what they're doing and you you get that kind of Mm -hmm. division that Mm -hmm. sows. And I think my third point would be that you risk robbing your team of the opportunity to learn from those experiences and learn from those examples and grow themselves right you and and so i think those three things stick out to me as particularly scary risks with that kind of protectionism that being said 
right? <laughs> as I've done this before, mm-hmm. there's to some degree, okay, this is bullcrap and drama and whatever else, and you don't need to be concerned about that. Part of what I do as a leader is make sure that you're aware of the things you need to be aware of and that I'm not letting distractions in. Right. Um, That's true. And I think, but again, like, is that a good thing or not? I think I th- it's I situational think it, probably. Yeah. If, if you really unpack it, I think it probably hinges on whether or not you're isolating them or just facilitating. Um, and I think the degree to which you feel like you need to isolate may be a red flag on the broader culture that you feel like you need to do that. True. All right. So we, um, I, I think but I don't I, think that one's, I don't think that one's clear cut. I see some, it's risk, not clear cut. It's clear cut. Yeah. What, what were your, give me your, give me your three again. What were your three things? Just, just brief. Uh, so f- f- you, you put yourself in a key position. Okay. But so, so uh, you, is, you become which, a which is business risk because right, so you're, you're bus, key man. Bus theory. Yeah. If you're out of the bus picture, theory. then what happens? Yep. Okay. Yep. Or lottery, rich uncle, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, uh, us versus them. Us you versus may foster them. some okay. us versus them. And okay. then you rob your team of uh, growth opportunity by not okay. exposing them to the challenges as you're solving them. Right. Okay. So uh, I saw the third one. The growth opportunity, but it, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of growth opportunity. I was just thinking about it in terms of them having visibility into the problems to thus in turn inform their solutioning. So mm-hmm. if they have a better, if they know what the problems are and they can intimate, they have an innate understanding and awareness of the problems yeah. that actually makes them better equipped to more come effective. up with more effective yeah. at solutions. So uh, you would, you would mention that. I don't know if I would have thought of that off the top of my head, but y- you would mention that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I, so I saw that one. I saw that one. And then your, your, your second one, damn it. I should just write your list down. Us versus them. Us versus them. Okay. So that one. Yes. But I actually, as you described it, I thought of something else. You could actually, if you're the person running blocker, you ha- run the risk of actually isolating yourself from your team because if your team looks at you as the one who is running interference and they see and and are cognizant of the fact that you are in fact doing this interference play for them then one of the risks that you actually run with your team is them thinking well what what's he not telling me or she what are they not telling me what is it what is it that they that is being hidden from my view and why won't they just share it with me you can actually mm. foster distrust People between like your kept team in kept in the dark. You actually run the risk of, of actually, you, you know, there's us versus them, team versus team, but there's also an us versus them, team versus the leader who's running the interference. If you're too- And I would say on both too sides. Serious, on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Well, that's what I meant. Between you and the, between one team and the other team, but there's even a, a smaller division between the team itself who is being uh, isolated- and feeling like they're isolated from that leader. You know, that leader has, uh, hey, we're being cut off by this leader. That, that no, doesn't I mean, feel no, good. No, I meant, when I meant on both sides, I meant you're, so your team feels like you're keeping them in the dark. I meant the other side feels if they don't like you are right. artificially preventing their access to your people right. that they need to get their job done. Then everybody thinks you're the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I think the only conclusion I've come to so far is, you don't want to do it all the time. You want to do it in a, you want to apply a light touch, gentle touch when you do it. You know, so not all the time. Do it, do it gently. And the other thing I concluded was 
don't withhold information outside of outside of sensitivity concerns. So if there's some kind of HR element, of course, like you keep your mouth shut about that kind of stuff. So we sidestep those exceptions. Generally, don't keep information off the table. Put everything on the table. Explain, hey, I am dealing with this. I was I was going to say exactly this. Be transparent, especially with your team about the fact that you are going to shelter them from some things that you think are just distractions and they probably mm-hmm. don't need to worry about. And you know what? They probably go, oh, thanks, because I don't right. need to deal. Or that's the point at which they have an opportunity to say, yeah, but wait a minute, we exactly. actually need to, and now you're learning and now you're, you're fostering collaboration rather than isolation, which I think right. is a key point. You're giving there. them yeah. the opportunity to speak up and, and point out things that maybe you hadn't thought of because yeah. if there's so the one- transparency th- there, I think is key. If you're going to do it and if it is a good idea, and I don't think either of us had an answer to you know right. when or where, but uh, I think that transparency is going to play a key component in the dynamic. Right. If there's one thing that I have learned in every- at every level where I have had any kind of leadership responsibility over a project or a team or things like that, it is that I am constantly reminded that I don't know everything and I can't think yeah. of everything and that I have to rely on the people around me for, to, to fill in the gaps that I don't even see because yeah. that is, there are always things that you're not aware of. And so- in, and interestingly, as I have gone on and as I have gone up in organizations, what I have noticed is that the best leaders talk, as you go higher and higher, the best leaders talk less and less in meetings to the point where top level meetings, the best leaders, you hardly hear them say a word in those meetings because they are just ingesting information. That's all they're doing. They'll stop a conversation, ask a clarifying question to you know, confirm their information, or they'll ask a question to get it going in a direction where they want to explore. And then they just sit back and they're just, they're just, they're just, it's just sponge, just sucking in the information. And then they take it, they make decisions, and then they act on those decisions. But in the, in the, in the moment with the team, any of the interactions with the team, they're just pulling, just pulling information from the people yeah. around them. Which I find very interesting. Which and and bad managers that gabbin all the time because instead of listening to what's being said, they're just thinking about what they're going to say next to win. You know, right? And I mean, and the the, I mean, to a little nuance, which I know you know a lot about. No, I mean, you know, practice (laughs) it with you all the time. So you know, like, yeah, I deal with you. It's exactly right. So no, a little a little bit of nuance there. It's okay to be opinionated. I mean, as as I think both of us can attest in this show, we're both pretty highly opinionated, but it's about- Screw you. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and here's what I think about that. <laughs> it's, about, it's, about when you, it's about when you share those opinions, and it's about your ability to change those opinions in light of new information. So strong opinions loosely held is, is the first step. And the second step is, in what scenarios is- it proper for you to actually, you know, deliver your opinion to the team. Sometimes, sometimes it does have to go in that direction, but most of the time, I think it needs to go in the other direction. You need to be, as a leader, you need to be ingesting far more than you are projecting when it comes to information. And if you're not sure, keep your damn mouth shut and ask more questions. Yeah. That's, that's what would- I've learned. 
No, I agree. And I, I had a conversation with somebody recently um, who kind of solicited feedback. Like, you know, if, if I see somebody and their performance isn't perfect, you know, what is, you know, coach me, what is the best way to, um, what's the best way to navigate this to help them grow into the role and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, look, it's, it's more art than science, but the trick is you're always going to have risk. Right. And you can micromanage everybody to the nth degree and you still have risk. Things are still not going to be done right. And everybody's going to be miserable in the process, including, by the way, you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have to delegate decisions. That's what leadership is. It's it's delegating and managing risk and managing expectations and communicating well. That's That's what it is. And so the trick is knowing that nobody's perfect, knowing when the business can suffer consequences of a risk realized and knowing and bumping that up against what your team is likely to learn the most from and being able to say in your own head, I see this conversation happening. I see the different opinions. I see the way the tide is moving. And if this person, you know, is in some other position of responsibility, has a vision, they have a feeling on the way it should go. I know there's a chance it could get a little hinky, but this is one that they need to learn. They need to grow. I'm going to let them go and take it and own it. A, they may surprise me. They may, they may knock it out of the park. There may be no issue. If there is an issue, I know I can manage it. I know we can recover. It's not a big deal, but it's a learning opportunity. And so I'm intentionally like, this is, this is crazy talk. This is like Chris's crazy corner over here we need a little jingle for that uh, like intentionally <laughs> right letting it. people <laughs> intentionally letting people make some of those mistakes you know it's going to happen you see it happening and you say no this is like we need as a team we need everybody to grow we need every that doesn't mean you're routinely just watching things go off the rails all the time like my right. train of thought 20 minutes ago what it means is that being strategic about reading the room like when and how you correct something is is important that's that's a that's a skill mm-hmm. um but then also the fact that like it's not going to be perfect anyway so give people the opportunity to learn through it that's that's a that was kind of the the point that i tried to make um yeah but you also said the business even I made it even less elegantly last time because it was the first time I had verbalized that. No, no, no. I, 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 th- I, I got what you're saying. And that's, a, that's actually yeah. a, a total, it's a corollary to what we're discussing. And you, I mean, we yeah. could go off on that. You talked about how you actually issue correction, corrective action to, to people or to a or team. Just feedback. That, that, yeah. I mean, giving feedback is an art and there's a, there's a practice it takes practice to do. And, and so, you know, you could, you could dive deep on that, but you said you talked about, you know, the potential impact to the business, which you're right, but I would actually bring it down a level. I wouldn't even talk about necessarily the business because what you're describing applies at any level for anyone who is in a position over a group of, you know, one or more individuals, you know, in a team setting, you can go, right. so, you can go so very low level impact on the right. project, potential, the team, whatever, just potential impact. Yeah. Potential impact. And right. just leave it and there. So you That's can do that. And, and, and that's the, I mean, that, that's the real, you know, for people who want to, who want to, who want to ladder climb the ladder really like as you're climbing different rungs, the rungs are exactly the same. It's just the height that changes. You're still doing the same motions. I mean, literally sometimes the exact same motions. I give feedback to a, to an individual engineer on my team in, in a web development project 
the same way that I give feedback now to my managers who are leading teams of their own. I still do it the same basic way because people are people. And so you're still going to have the same people-oriented problems and you're still going to want to approach them in the same people-oriented fashion. So, so layer on top of that, I think it's, it is the same and it is people the the higher perspective though, more of your problems become uh, more of the problems. And I, I don't mean problems. Uh, the more, the more of what you deal with is people and not technology. Correct. Yes. So the nature of the role, it's not just that that's important at every level because it is, it's that it is increasingly more important as a portion of what uh, you're responsible for doing. Yeah. yeah it's and the percentage responsibility. To you, yeah. yeah. That, that increases as well. Yeah. Or, and, or should. Right. As you go up in the organization, what you're, whatever your, whatever your industry vertical is, you're dealing less and less with your widget and you're dealing more and more with the people who produce your widget that's that's how it goes in every single organization in every single ladder which is why i am dubious about uh there's there's a push in tech sectors to do um uh to make parallel tracks between management and and individual contributor there is Mm -hmm. there is certainly some overlap you know a very senior level contributor versus you know a, a manager and, and their their relative value to the organization. There's certainly a fair amount of that Venn diagram that overlaps. You reach a certain point though, where just exponentially, your people management is just fundamentally going to be worth more because you're overseeing people. There's an exponential value to what you are producing because it's not just you and your individual effort. It's what you are giving to the people under you to the people under them and it just has and magnified by your scope of influence right and so it has this which is going to compound over time you add that fourth dimension to it and you really start to see the impact correct correct so this that's why total sidebar i am dubious about this no you can do management or you can do ic and you can jump back and forth and things like that well yeah you can but you're going to hit a ceiling on the ice on the individual contributor side eventually some places have it really really high like ibm has this the, the distinguished engineer level you can go super duper high okay not dismissing that but there is still a limit if you want maximal impact you go the people route that's where you're going to have the maximal impact like it or not it's just literally how it works it's just just how this thing is uh put together and then you go off and you you make a startup you become the ceo president and founder of your startup you have supreme authority over yourself no one absolutely no one that's right (laughs) that's right we just said the same thing because you are nothing (laughs) (laughs) you're way more magnanimous than i am obviously that's well that's been documented at this point as reported (laughs) on the refactored podcast yeah on on this day you know uh t minus what 45 minutes or something like that sure i can go back to the videotape (laughs) and and in fact i'm going to when i review this all right. Well, this has been another great episode of uh, Refactored, like I just said. Um, be sure to check us out. Refactored.work. Brand new site. Looking really spiff. Thank you, Chris. Hot new site. And that is a pun if you look at it. <laughs> uh, in addition to the website, you can see some uh, ramblings from myself and Chris. For me, it's hotcoles, K-O-E-H-L-S.com. For Chris, it's Tonkin- chris.tonkinson.com. 
Uh, feel free to give us some feedback, feedback at refactor.work. And uh, thanks again for your time. Have a good week, everybody. Cheers. Later.